Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short. So glad to have you along with us today. Saturday morning, sometimes we like to talk about a current issue, a current cultural issue sometimes. And uh, today I'd like to take a break from our being in the book of Philippians and look at a big issue going on in our world today. As you know, I've been in preaching involved in campus ministry for over 40 years now. I've seen the campuses change, and I've seen them become completely taken over by ideologies that are hostile to our Christian faith. Particularly, we talk about how when the Soviet Union fell in 1989 and 1990, when those nations of the Eastern Bloc fell, it seemed like Marxism was dead. Karl Marx, very likely a Satanist, actually, who was a man who rejected God, rejected the New Testament, and he, he came up with a philosophy of life and economics called Marxism or, or Communism. And uh, it, in, it enslaved millions, hundreds of millions of people, and was one of the most deadly, evil, pernicious ideas of the 20th century. Well, it seemed like after it was really born in the Soviet Union in 1917, it seemed like only like, uh, 70, 80 years, 70 years later it was dead when the Soviet Union fell. But it, it lived on in one place primarily. It lived on in the universities of America. Oh, yeah, of course, it lived on in, in Cuba as well and then invaded down into Central America and Venezuela. But um, it, it was living on in the universities, no longer under the economic Marxist ideas, but now a new, a new idea, cultural Marxism, which sees everything in light of the oppressed and the oppressor. It sees the march of history and the life and the, the cycles of history. The oppressed groups will always rise up and overthrow the oppressor groups. Now, this is deeper than just uh, history. And some people say, how does this relate to us as Christians? Well, as I said, I believe Marx was an evil man. And I believe what he taught has led to more tyranny and enslavement and the murder by governments of more people than any other ideology in history of the world. And so it ought to concern all of us when, it be, when there's the thought of it invading our country, our institutions. And the way it's invaded our world is not under the terminology of Marxism. There, were some who will, there are many who believe that. Some will say it. But rather it's under an idea called diversity, inclusion, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, those are good-sounding words. And friends, words matter. Definitions matter. Who could be against diversity? What do you want instead? Just conformity? Who could be against equity? What do you want? Inequality? Who could be against inclusion? What do you want to do? Be exclusive? These words, these three words are so winsome and powerful and uh, attractive, and the opposite words are so negative, and who, who would want the opposite of these things? Not me, not you, certainly not a Christian who believes in, in, uh, in, in following Christ that we would want these things. So no, these, these are words that are attractive to all of us. And if we are not careful, who's not going to want to embrace these ideas? Well, as I said earlier, these ideas have now become widely embraced, fully embraced by the universities of America with very, so you could probably count on one hand, the universities that do not make these ideas the primary purpose of their university. 
the primary purpose that, of what they promote right on their homepages. And, and so we want to understand these things. And many corporations have made this the primary purpose. As a matter of fact, one of the largest investment, the largest investment firm in the world, BlackRock and, and Vanguard with it as the number two, require that if you want them to invest in your in their funds in your company, you've got to be committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sounds good, but what is it? Well, this this has all come up recently. There's been two I think earth-shattering events in the last year or two, one of them just recently. But first we talk about two people, Elon Musk and Bill Ackman. Now Elon Musk, maybe I'll take myself off here. Elon Musk was, uh, as we know, founder of Tesla, SpaceX, Starlink, one of the most innovative uh, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators in the history of the world. And he's changing the world through, his, through some of his inventions. And he's become the world's richest man. And a year or two ago, he bought Twitter because he saw that this whole diversity, equity, and inclusion idea had spread through government, had spread to big tech, and it was censoring people who had different ideas. And he saw, again, that it was pernicious. He was beginning to see that there's something to this that's not right, that's tyrannical. And that if, if America and the world loses, loses its ability to have free speech and communication in what he called the town center, the town square, uh, that would lead to bad, bad things. Now, he was on the inside, and he knew. And he, he, was, he would talk to a lot of powerful people, and he, he was sensing and aware of where this was all leading. And then another thing happened with another fellow named Bill Ackman. Now, Bill Ackman is a hedge fund manager, very wealthy billionaire in, in New York, a very powerful man on Wall Street, a Harvard grad, and he was concerned with what happened after October 7th, specifically after the Hamas massacre in Israel. He, he was shocked that the very next day, his alma mater, Harvard University, was, uh, had 38 student groups come out in support of what Hamas had done. He couldn't believe it. He was shocked. He was even more shocked at the response of the Harvard professor, Claudine Gay, who, who would not condemn it. And so a few weeks later, he went up to Harvard himself to talk to professors, students, on the spot, in person, to find out what's going on. How could you not condemn what happened in Israel on October 7th? How could you allow groups to march in favor of this massacre, supporting, these, uh, supporting the people who had committed these crimes? How could that be? And he was shocked, and, and, he, and he found out that things are not as he thought. Now, let me tell you that this, di this diversity, equity, and inclusion concept has become very, very uh, politically entrenched. And I'll be straightforward with you. It just seems as if people on the left of the spectrum, they are in favor of this. People on the right side uh, see through it and aren't. People on the right want limited government. People on the left have tended, I mean, shall we say the, the far right and the far left like uh, tyranny. This DEI is very attractive to people on the far left because it allows government a lot of power and allows, and, and it allows the elite to have a lot of power over common folk. 
So Bill Ackman went up there, and I'd like to read to you because, well, what happened is he, was, he led the charge to say that this cannot be. This president of a university, his alma mater, cannot stand there and say that to call for the genocide of Jews is not a violation of school policy, that is not bullying, is not, is not harassment of people. And he saw where this is leading, and he saw the anti-Semitism, and he called for her. He called for him to her to be uh, to resign and be gone. And and lo and behold, he also then helped helped discover with the investigative journalist Christopher Rufo plagiarism by the president. And that that what's going on? That here you have a, a very unqualified president that is leading the most elite institution in America, in the world. How's this happening? What's going on? And he was shocked what he was finding. And he led the charge until finally she resigned. Uh, Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, she resigned. But it didn't end there. Because what happened after that was Business Insider magazine printed an article uh, claiming that Ackman's wife had plagiarized her thesis. She was a PhD, had plagiarized her thesis. And uh, and they called, they contacted he and his wife two hours before they were going to print it and said, do you have any comment? His answer was, it's a 335-page document, and you're claiming there are some errors in it of documentation, and you're giving us two hours to respond? <clears throat> he was pretty ticked off at that. He had obviously had no way to respond within that first two hours, but he, here's how he chose to respond. He said here, and it was clear that the, this accusation came from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and his response was, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hire people, he's a multi-billionaire, to check out every thesis of every that was written by every MIT faculty and the president of MIT and every board member. And I'm going to check you out to see how you've done on your rules of plagiarism. Oh, my gosh, you talk about a tit for tat. They punched him in the nose, and he responded with a nuclear bomb. Every faculty member he's going to have checked out to see if they violated their laws, their rules about plagiarism. And in other words, what do we see here happening? We see something pretty incredible. We see some powerful, wealthy, respected people. Elon Musk, with his purchase of Twitter and opening up this, probably the the number one space for for expression of ideas is Twitter, now called X, and now uh, uh, opening that up to free speech. And now Bill Ackman, a really powerful person who, to be honest, you don't want to fight against someone like this. He's, He's a fighter. He's a he's a uh, he would he's a Donald Trump type fighter, shall we say. And you see him saying, I am going after two things now. Number one, higher education. And number two, the media. That the media would pull such a stunt on us, upon his wife, whom he loves. And the media would do what it, it would allow these people to become presidents of universities and then pull this stunt. He's basically saying this is now his life mission. He understands what's going on here. And his life mission is to protect our country from what he sees as tyranny that's coming in, people who fled to America from communist countries to have freedom, and that if these things prevail, we will lose what people have come here to experience. 
And he's basically said this is now his life mission, his life calling. I'd like to read a little bit. He, he wrote a lengthy, and if you go on X, you can read X or Twitter, you can read. And I'd like to read just a little bit from what he wrote. This, this is a, quite a lengthy article, his, his journey to understand what DEI means. He said he thought it was anti-Semitism. When he went up to Harvard, what he was concerned about, and he looked at, uh, he, he, he was concerned about the anti-Semitism. But he says this, that then he talks about this. Then I did more research. The more I learned, the more concerned I became, and the more ignorant I realized I had been about DEI, a powerful movement that has not only pervaded Harvard, but the ed- educational system at large. I came to understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion was not what I had naively thought these words meant. Now, first of all, friends, that's quite an admission. Because this was a man in the business world who had embraced these ideas, who had, who had put money behind him, who'd given millions and millions and millions of dollars to his university in the name of these things, who's now woken up to say, this isn't what I thought. I was naive. I was ignorant. I, you know, thank God for that humility. He continues, I've always believed that diversity is an important feature of a successful organization. But by diversity, I mean diversity in its broadest form, diversity of viewpoints, politics, ethnicity, race, age, religion, experience, socioeconomic background, sexual identity, gender, and one's upbringing, and more. What I learned, however, was that DEI was not about diversity in its purest form, but rather DEI was a political advocacy movement on behalf of certain groups that are deemed oppressed under DEI's own methodology. Under DEI, one's degree of oppression is determined based upon where one resides on a so-called intersectional pyramid of oppression where whites, Jews, and Asians are deemed oppressors, and a subset of people of color, LGBTQ people, and or women are deemed to be the oppressed. Did you catch that? In this whole ideology, he realized, he came to see, this is not about anti-Semitism. This is not about diversity. This is using these words to say that all of life in this struggle for power as they see it, which is Marxism, he's describing Marxism here whether he realizes it or not, is the oppressors are people, white Jews and Asians are oppressors, but just by nature of who you are, and that that people of color, LGBTQ people, and women are deemed to be the oppressed. I might add, that in addition to people of race, also people who are heterosexual, people who are Christian, people who are men are considered the oppressors under this DEI mentality and ideology. He goes on to say, under this ideology, which is the philosophical underpinning of DEI as advanced by Ibram X. Kendi, a professor at the University of of uh, Florida, who has promoted this whole idea of white privilege and and the BLM movement, one is either an anti-racist or a racist. There's no such thing as being not racist. Now, we're about to celebrate Martin Luther King Day, and Martin Luther King had an ideology. I may be jumping ahead of myself here. Martin Luther King had an ideology. These are my words here, not his, of, of, uh, not Ackman's words, an ideology of 
I long to have the day where people are judged not by the content of their, by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That doesn't work under DEI. That, that, is assume, that is impossible under DEI. You're assumed that simply because of your skin color, you are, have the un- inability to see a person's character. All you can see, the only thing you can see is their skin color under this ideology. And so, the, so either you are a racist or an anti-racist. There is no in-between. Martin Luther King would have not, his philosophy would not fit in this ideology. Under DEI's ideology, any policy, program, educational system, economic system, grading system, admission policy, and even climate change due to its disparate impact upon geographies and the people that live there, that leads to unequal outcomes among people of different skin colors is deemed racist. Any ideology, wherever you have disparate outcomes based on race, it's race is the, is the reason. As a result, according to DEI, capitalism is racist. Advanced placement exams are racist. IQ tests are racist. Corporations are racist. Or in other words, any merit-based program, system, or organization which has or generates outcomes for different races that are at variance with the proportion these different races represent in the population is by definition under DEI, racist. In order to be deemed anti-racist, one must personally take action to reverse any unequal outcomes in society. The DEI movement, which has permeated many universities, corporations, and state and local governments, is designed to be the anti-racist a- a- engine to transform society from its currently structural racist state to an anti-racist one. He goes on to talk about how after George Floyd, this idea became widespread and nobody confronted it. No one disagreed with it because to do so, would you would have the label racist. Folks, this guy has awoken up. This guy sees what's happening. He understands that if this DEI happens, if it comes about, the whole things that have made our country great, i.e., you're judged by what you produce, by your merit, by your character, not by your skin color, not by the group you belong to. That's what socialism does. That's what communism does. It, sets to, it seeks to set people against one another. But rather that we, will, as people, are, are, are rewarded in life and rewarded in society by what we actually accomplish and do. Now, I don't have time to read the whole thing. It would probably be another half hour. I would encourage you to look up Bill Ackman. His last name spelled A-C-K-M-A-N. You can find him on, on X or Twitter. And if you scroll down a little bit, and you'll find where he, he begins to explain why he got involved in this battle. My point being, I've been involved in this battle a long time. And it's kind of, it's kind of nice to see some powerful people who are fighters like Elon Musk and like uh, Bill Ackman who are taking upon it as their life mission to say freedom matters and to understand that this whole DEI to, to begin to see that it's, it, there's a cultural Marxism there that leads to tyranny that leads to the, that is the loss of freedom and that will become violently anti-Christian. Now, neither of these men are Christian. 
Neither of them are Christian men, to, to my knowledge. Uh, Elon Musk, I don't, I'm not sure if he believes in God, he, and Bill Ackman, I'm pretty sure, is Jewish. But they are fighting a fight that needs to be fought, and they're rising up to lead. And I will tell you, what has destroyed our universities, the ideology, certainly our universities turn out some good engineers and some good uh, uh, mathematicians and so on. But what has destroyed the morality and what's destroyed the, the, the value system of the people who go there and are, are being indoctrinated in a woke, what we call wokeism, which is a religious idea that I really believe is evil, sounds good on the, on the surface, like, just like DEI does, sounds good on the surface, but it's another religion that leaves out God, that leaves out Christ, and it becomes basically... Um, dangerous. And we look at what is produced throughout time. We look at what's produced the last hundred years. Deadly revolutions, bloody revolutions that set people against one another, that divide countries. We talk about the division in our country, and believe me, this is at its root. This cultural war and this and this bringing of a new idea that, that uh, gets away from and seeks to destroy what what Christianity has built as the world view upon which our country was built, and it seeks to replace that with a totally secular worldview in which Christianity is one of the bad guys, the oppressors, the bad people. What am I saying? I'm pretty encouraged. I've, I've often thought, that how could we ever win our universities back? How could we ever win our media back? How could we ever have really, the, these things are so strongly entrenched and it is a battle. And just because a couple Davids are stepping forward to fight these Goliaths doesn't mean we're going to win. But I want to tell you, we're, the, the battle is engaged. And we're going to be seeing this a lot in this coming year, this election year. We're going to see it a lot. I hope you get incur- uh, educated about this. I hope you understand what's going on. I hope you're not easily, um, uh, e- easily persuaded by words that sound good without defining what those words really mean. Diversity has become nothing more than division, to divide us against one another as a nation. Divided we fall. United we stand. Divided we fall. Diversity is simply division. Equity and inclusion is simply a matter of of now bringing in the oppressed groups, i.e. the LGBT, the, the, uh, the basically any, any group that's ever been oppressed, giving them the power, and those that have been in power in the past have to lose it, have to give it up and hand it over to these others, either voluntarily or violently. This is the world we live in, and uh, don't be naive, okay? Let's, let's pray about this, and I could talk for hours, but I'm going to call it an end here. Father in heaven, oh, we cry out to you, Father. We thank you for our nation. As, Lord, it, the foundations upon which it was built, a recognition of freedom, a recognition of limiting government, a, a recognition of, of a meritocracy that you could progress if you worked hard and did your best, that you had a future. And Lord, we think of how uh, these Marxists have taken over our universities, our media, much of our government, and they're promoting ideas that sound good on the surface, but down deep, Lord, we believe they're demonic. We believe that they are a, a Trojan horse whose ultimate aim is the destruction of Christianity and of our faith and of our freedom, and it is a governmental tyranny that decides winners and losers. How we pray, Father, 
for freedom. You told us in 1 Timothy 2.1 to pray for our leaders. We pray these ideas, Lord, would be exposed. We pray our leaders would understand them and would turn from them. I pray, Lord, the leaders who are running for office would, would see through these things, not be confused by them, and would stand for what's good, right, and true. We pray for our leaders to be Christian. We pray for them to build their ideas and understanding on what Christianity teaches. We ask, Lord, for in this political season, that those who will fight for freedom and who will stand against this Marxism, we pray, Lord, that those people would prevail and win. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks for sticking with me today. This is longer than normal. We usually go 15 minutes. We usually go right out of the Bible. Today's a little bit different. Sometimes we, we take a little time on Saturdays to talk about something cultural. I will post in the description below how you can find this Bill Ackman letter. I think it is one of the most amazing things I've read in the last year of a person's journey from being awoke on the left, social justice warrior, to seeing what's really behind this and how pernicious it is and how wrong it is and how something that sounds good really isn't. I will post that there. I encourage you to read it. Until then, God bless you. I love you all, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.